You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahire, and today I'm joined by special guest, Ed Lattimore. Ed is a former professional heavyweight boxer, a competitive chess player, and a best-selling author. Ed's writing focuses on self-development, realizing your potential, and sobriety, all of which he approaches from a personal experience having overcome poverty and addiction. I am beyond honored to have him on my podcast as he is by far one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Ed. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I always, always like listen to my bio and go, okay, that's me. I'm a real person. <laughs> you are a real person. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm always grateful when someone wants to hear me talk. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, uh, I occasionally say things worth listening to. So hopefully that happens today. And if not, I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> so for our audience, why don't you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, and how you got to where you are now? Yeah. Um, the long version. The long. Okay. I was going to say there, there's like, you know, there's a few versions. So I really... I tend to divide my life along the year uh, 2013. I would have been 28 then. So to understand kind of where I am now, uh, that that year is really important because 2013, that's when I stopped drinking. That's when I turned professional as a boxer. That's when I went back to school. That's when... Yeah, I guess that's when I enlisted in the military as well. So I did all these things. And this was about, this was almost eight years ago. And I, I keep track because I know that I have my, sobri- my sobriety date, you know, tattooed on my arm. And I'm, I'm very cognizant of that day and what it means to the rest of my life. Mm. So a lot of what people know me for now, uh, all really started to blossom right around then the, the the blog was just starting up and taking off i hadn't self-published any books yet uh i hadn't taken one class uh towards my degree yet but it all it all started then and prior to that though i was fighting i was an amateur and that was pretty much the extent of what was like redeemable about me i spent most of my my um adulthood prior to that point we'll say uh 20 to 27 uh amateur fighting i i didn't even start fighting as an amateur until i was 22 mm-hmm. but mostly just working dead-end jobs for like nine ten dollars an hour and, and drinking and trying to figure out what i was going to do with my life but it was it was largely just this just this unproductive uh, spirit. I mean, and now ultimately, the time I put in, you know, being an amateur boxer helped me become a professional boxer. But outside of that, I mean, it's just a, a lot of my twenties are largely forgettable mm-hmm. because I wasn't really doing anything 
outside of fighting, outside of fighting and being a fool, right? But at least the fighting was sanctioned and in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as my childhood goes and how it contributes to who I am today, I grew up, I don't know what the equivalent is in Canada. You guys might use the same word, but uh, I know in the UK, they call them council estates in in the United States. They're called housing projects. I, I grew up in public housing projects, grew up mm-hmm. poor, single mom, um, lived there till I was 18. But I'm fortunate that I didn't get drawn into a lot of stuff that keeps people stuck at that level. I know, I mean, I, I know some people because the the beauty of Facebook is not like I really kept in contact with anyone, but now anyone can find anyone from their their past, and I see people who are you know still living in that neighborhood, and it's just you know not everyone makes it out. In fact, I'm pretty sure statistically most people. Uh, do not make it out, but that that's an intro, that's another discussion. I'm fortunate that, that I am one of those people that got out, not just got out, but florist. I think I think one of the highest compliments a person randomly pays me is when they don't believe me that I grew up in the projects, and I'm like, nah, man, I'm I'm as, I'm as hood as the next guy, mm-hmm. but but not really because because I'm I'm 36 now. I turned 36 in February. And 36 is an interesting age because when you turn 36, every second every minute from that point on you are now an adult longer than you've been a child mm-hmm. and so i i moved out of the, the the projects i never went back uh august of 2003 that was would have been the year that i i went to college the first time mm-hmm. and yeah so so it's been it's been about half my life now but i mean i, I still I still remember a lot. It still forms a lot of me. I mean, a lot of my writing is inspired by stuff I learned from that environment. But, mm-hmm. but in terms of you know today, am I am I going back and hanging out with people? No, nothing like that. I don't. I don't have any like ties or cares, you know, because because when you leave something behind, you you have to leave behind. You don't really get the option. To, to keep your foot halfway in the water. It doesn't really work that way. Yeah, yeah. And so how did you get to become a writer? Like, how did that all transpire? Um, I've always wanted to write. You know, that's always been been something that I wanted to do. You know, when I was a kid, I was a kid uh, taking... It, this was back before everyone had a laptop and it was super cheap to have one. But I was taking reams of paper and and writing and creating stuff on my own, just because because it was fun, it was enjoyable. I've always liked creating stories. And one of the things that kept me out of trouble when I was a kid is I liked to to play RPGs. Uh, I wasn't really a big video gamer as, as people think, but I liked playing the RPGs because the role playing games were the ones you had to read and they told the stories. Mm. And if you got to enjoy the stories. Um, you you just learned a little bit more about how to how to put one together yourself, mm-hmm. and then you know I got to high school and I, I enjoyed the writing in high school or at least crafting the arguments and analyzing things, but but I you know didn't really think I was gonna do what I do now for sure because because when we were in high school in the year you know it was nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and three there was uh, compute. They were still teaching typing classes because it was it was relatively new relatively new skill. And you know, now if you don't know how to type, I don't I don't even know how you make it to school, let alone, you know, 
um, flourish there. So I don't uh, even know how to touch type still. Oh man. Well, well, you know what? You're you're a millennial, and millennials, you know, we we were the <laughs> we were the transition generation because yeah. because of you're you're 32. Yeah. So right. So you're you're a little young. So so uh, I mean. Uh, I'll give you a pass because we we live in high school like around the same time, right? You probably graduated in two thousand eight. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what people forget about that time period is is it's very vivid to me because because you know everybody had stuff and uh, when we came in when I was fourteen, you know the, the internet as we know it today just didn't exist. Mm-hmm uh wireless it was was not even a word and now if you don't wireless it's like you live in the dark ages yeah and it was dial up (laughs) yeah it was dial up it was slow if you were one of the kids that had like money and resources or your family was in the tech you had dsl yeah (laughs) but for the most part like like no one had cell phones right uh and, and smartphones weren't even invented yet no it was a different kind of world so we we had to we had to do things differently. And one of the, like, I remember I had a word processor. I got one for Christmas because I really wanted one uh, because I, I just, I just like writing mm-hmm. to me. Writing is writing is a, um, and the better I get at it and the more I do it, the more I realize why I enjoy it. And it's because it, it um, galvanizes my thoughts. It, it puts them, it orders them and it straightens my thinking out. Mm-hmm and everything so so it makes life easier for me to to communicate it makes me it makes me think more clearly about a subject it makes me make understand the world better you know mm-hmm. and so when i do that what you realize is that most people are not they don't, they don't have a very strong understanding of the world they don't have a, a grasp of it so when you present one, when you present your interpretation of it, you give them guidance and you get to be a guiding light. And that is what the writing, a lot of it is now. It's mm-hmm. so not my writing. I, all I say, all I do is take what I learned the hard way and I break it down so other people can learn it the easy way. That's all I do. And from there, you know, it it makes... It, it, people read the stuff and a lot of times they go, oh, I needed to read that today. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, you need to read it every day. It just <laughs> So it happens that you found it today because yeah. we, we all have the same kind of problems and they all recur. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is, is just write what I know and what I've experienced. And I think I've experienced a fair amount and I try to be reflective and I try to extract lessons from it so other people can can use them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I do find about your account and and you as a person on social media. You may have had all these experiences that other people may not have gone through, but you still make it relatable to what they could be going through. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you know, there's nothing really unique about my life or your life or anyone else's life. Sure, we have our own we have our own perspective mm-hmm. and our perspective because it is the the amalgamation of so many different experiences and you know this is where we're at in time too mm-hmm. that creates a different point of view 
but the experiences are all largely the same yeah you know everyone for example thinks it's the worst thing in the world when they get their heart broken well mm-hmm. you know of course they do but um that's because it's their perspective and mm-hmm. their world is changing but you you zoom out and you look i mean it's in the stories as old as time uh no matter how technologically advanced the world becomes it's still run by humans mm-hmm. so the humans are going to have the same experiences and stories and interactions the same hopes the same fears the same elations and disappointments that we, we all have the same thing Mm-hmm. And the few people who are able to take that and put it in the words and draw a story from it and help people cope with their particular experience at that point in time, because the experience isn't different. It's just the perspective of that experience. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are going to be able to, to command an audience and, and appear to be good writers. I always say I'm not a good writer. I'm, I'm just a, a simple writer. And I try to <laughs> be useful. You do those two things, you know, it's how people think you're brilliant. The reality is it's just a it's a simple observation that is useful. And so go people go, okay, I got something from that. Now of course there's the stylistic element that I really pride myself on on studying the craft, not just the the rote technical grammar, but some of the more interesting ways to tell. And present the information because if you can make your story interesting, people are more likely to read it and, and stay engaged. Yep. So there's there's that part of it. But at the end of the day, it's still just an organization of my thoughts and my experiences and my reflections. And you read them and go, oh, you know, that seems like something I've gone through. And I'm like, well, that's because it is. Your <laughs> life is no different than anyone else's. Yeah. 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 You know, that is one thing. I, I did a post about that and how, you know, pain it doesn't make us unique. It makes us human. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm so on the same fence as you, but it's almost comforting, right? Like to know that you're not alone. You're not, you're not anything special. Other people have been what you've been through. Your perspective is special to you, but it's not different. Exactly that. Exactly that. And, and I think, I think one of the big problems today is that we believe that our perspective is reality. We believe Mm. the map we have is the road. And so Mm. if someone else has a different map, uh, we disagree. And if the map is too different, we attack the map. We attack the perspective. Mm. And so our unique perspectives, while they're unique to us and personal and important, are unfortunately becoming instruments of, of war, effectively. Uh, they're very very interesting kind of war one that really hasn't existed in human history at least not that at scale but we're now battling ideas and perspectives which is you know i suppose is a a step up from from bodies and and buildings but the attacks now are on you know how you see the thing is not how it actually is and no one ever wants to sit and, and go okay. And and people get mad when I when I say the the following thing, but I think it also makes them think. I don't really get mad, but they but they definitely think that that no matter what side you're on, uh, you're you're saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, you're saying the same thing. And to that's that's why extremes, uh, your perspective becomes indistinguishable. I'm reading this article right now about. 
uh, a comparison between left and right wing wing extremists, right? Mm-hmm. And and the thing that the article talks about is when they initially did this research, uh, there was no sign of left wing extremism, right? They couldn't confound it. That was the way they were scoring it, and and it was very much the quantum problem of being part of the system you're measuring, right? So right. somebody comes along and they find a different way to measure, and they go, okay, both of these extremes have the same ideas of what. Uh, a certain mental toughness or it was like resistance to being um to being talked to Mm. a hard-headedness what a complex ideology and and shutting down opposition to any thought and a a refusal to entertain debate uh or like like a refusal to like intellectually entertain debate and you see these signs on, on all things and this is just an example with um extremes but they think they're different. Even we think they're different mm. because they have a different perspective. Mm. But it's but when you when you zone back one level or zone out one level of abstraction, you see the the exact same way and the exact same thing. And and it's unfortunate that right now we are attacking based on perspective, not mm. on anything else. Mm-hmm. Because when when you know when you sit and talk with somebody, you realize, yeah, you guys, you you really want the same thing. You you don't realize it because you're focused on the differences that are mainly superficial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you realize you want the same thing, but you can't even get to that point where you have the conversation because you're too busy attacking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like when you're sitting in front of someone that has an opposing view, like most of the time the conversation is pretty amicable like there's right do you know what i mean so is is it is it how the media is portraying our interactions with one another as you know what i found Uh, a good friend of mine said something really interesting a while ago he said he said uh he was talking about the problem with dating and he said nobody has a personality anymore they just have political opinions Mm. and i said what a funny statement and I wonder how true this, because I'm not, you know, in a marketer scene, but I do know talking to people, the the average person, by kind of definition of being average, uh, doesn't have a lot of things are going on independent of what they're told to have going on. Mm. Right? It's like here are the newest things that you're excited about, and here's here's some news and here's yeah. an here's some politics and whip it up. And then along that people get divided along their their whatever fits them for whatever reason. Mm. And so that is what the conversation becomes no matter what. I've had several times where several instances where people try to broach the subject of politics. And here's what's funny, these aren't strangers. These are people who like know me and then know that like I don't I don't vote. I don't pay attention to this stuff. It's not important to me. It's not a priority in my life and it never will be. But just repeatedly every every four years it's like they forget the same conversation we've been having. People have no know me like literally more than half my life. And it's it's amazing because that's the talking point. So I do think a lot of people uh, talk about this stuff, but they do it because the average person lives in an echo chamber. They're not that they're not on the internet the way I am with with this huge uh, selection of people 
And it's huge honor to talk to and pick up different perspectives and mm-hmm. see different things from. Uh, a friend of mine astutely pointed out that I'm proud that, that we all live in our bubble, but of the bubbles that we live in, mine's is probably the widest and thinnest because of, of how I interact with people on the internet. So to, to most people, when they have these discussions, they're not having them face to face with someone who has an opposite opinion. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that. They, they One of the things that you we, we learn is, or at least I've learned, is that people can't understand how someone else thinks the way they think. Forget agree or disagree. They to them it's it's a foreign concept. It it would be like it would be like looking at at a fish and going, "How are you breathing water if you never if you don't understand that he's got gills instead of lungs?" Mm-hmm. Right? It is that level of of disconnect. But I I think that disconnect is just the the nature and design of humanity for most of our our. Most of our time on this planet, we did not interact with people so far, though like instantaneously around the world. Forget yeah. different politics. For forget forget somebody who is in a different town. You know, you're in a different country right now, and this conversation yeah. and this happen conversation has happened in real time. This is unusual, you know, mm-hmm. very unusual for what we're usually dealing with. So, you know, whether we, we evolve or not, um is is it's not a question we'll ever be able to answer mm. because we'll be dead long before it will even start to happen. Yeah, hundred percent. But but that is the the issue is that, is that yes, in person these things don't tend to come up, but that's because we don't realize they're not coming up because we tend to surround ourselves our physical proximity with people who think the same. That's true. On the internet, though, it's very different <laughs> because on the internet you can read, you you can, you can spend your entire life in a blue city and hop down, and your tweet or your message gets dropped into a to a red nest, and then boom, you got to deal with that. Or or you say something incredibly nationalistic, and your neighbor, and then all of a sudden everybody else, yeah. in another country, it's like, hey, what is this? Though it's unusual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, like from a perspective like or opinion point of view we're we're never meant to process this many people's opinions of us oh goodness that that never would have happened historically my brain i think i am better (coughs) first let me say i think i'm better than average by by a significant margin i won't say outstanding yet but i think i'm better than average at at taking a kind of detached look at what a person says and just intellectually processing it, not letting my biases creep in. It takes a lot of practice and work mm-hmm. and self-control, mm-hmm. but I know uh, like one, of, one of my biggest fears personally is, is, is looking like an idiot, and I don't want to fall into... And, and, and I know the fastest way to look like an idiot is to not consider all perspectives on an issue. It's right. the only way you can learn. And so I've, I've, I've got this habit of following the facts rather than how I feel and then letting the facts kind of tell me what to, to feel, if I feel anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But most people, oh, I think about how much work it takes for me to do this. And, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hard-working, disciplined human. My, my results speak to that. Most people are not that way. And so what you get is what most people do today. It's a lot of... It's a lot of reinforcement by repetition, mm-hmm. a lot of recency bias. We mm-hmm. our availability bias, as they call it, is it just because it's the most available thing. 
are the thing that is most uh, salient. Salient, recent. yeah. And recent that you recency bias, yeah, right. Yeah. You think that's true? A lot of a lot of um yelling or you know not like figurative yelling but it, you say something over and over again and you go okay mm-hmm. that must be true mm-hmm. people also just completely can't understand a different perspective at all less set of different experiences uh, some some just just like stood out to me i'm reading this book called clandestine relationships by a guy named um uh man i, I have his name all the time and i know it's not clay davis but um but uh, but he's a guy who went and did did did, did this? Uh, he infiltrated the. He didn't infiltrate. That's the wrong word. He he met with members of the Ku Klux Klan and talked to them. He's a black guy, uh, a musician, and he he just by having this conversation, he ended up uh, getting a lot of them to turn in their their robes, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And getting a lot of them to, to, to change, you know, who they were. Daryl Davis, that's what it is. Uh, it's all time, right? And and I I bought his book. His book is very hard to find. It was expensive because it's hard to find. Mm-hmm. I took a picture of it and said, I'm going to read this book. Someone chimes in and they go, you know, I wonder about if they, how true those accounts were. You know, the Klan hasn't been a thing in this country for a long time. And I'm like, that's really interesting. I vividly remember watching two clan rallies through our city, and I live in a fairly large democratic city, but due to the law, you know, they got to let them march through. So in the downtown, there were, there were fenced up areas, and I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm like, and my, I, I watched this, and this mm-hmm. guy just had a completely different experience. So because his experience didn't match up, he mm-hmm. automatically assumed that it wasn't real, which mm-hmm. is another thing we're dealing with, too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's symptomatic of society, right? To just kind of go on autopilot. I mean, it it takes effort cognitively to think of someone else's perspective. Yes. Right. And people they don't put an effort in their day to day lives. They don't put effort into their physical health. They don't put effort into their emotional health. Why would they put effort into their cognitive health? We are a low. In- okay, we're not low energy. One of my professors said this, and and this is all this has always stuck with me. I studied physics in school, mm-hmm. so a lot of my analogies and perspectives come from that. And she was explaining that that all organisms seek the most energy efficient configuration to sustain themselves. Yeah, it's a fancy way of saying that we try to get the most we can with the least <laughs> amount of energy expended towards that goal and that sounds really obvious right what's not so obvious are the implications of that on our thought process it's Mm -hmm. a lot easier uh to 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 be cathartic or not Mm -hmm. even the cathartic implies something wrong happened it's a lot easier to be to be angry and to be emotional to Mm -hmm. be reactive takes a lot more energy to, to control yourself mm-hmm. hear the other person's perspective think and try to come to a solution so most people are going to choose the easy route i don't even think it's insidious i just think it's the way we're designed yeah. it's, it's why it's why the obesity rate at least in the united states is now is almost 80 percent we'll probably be there by 2025 because we have a surplus of food and an easy life and it is 
it's very weird to our biology to go, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to eat less and work out more. No, we, we evolved to do quite literally the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to 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 eat as much as we can when the food's available. We were never ready for refrigeration and processed food. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. And then, you know, forget about, you know, cars and sitting at a desk and Internet stuff. But point is, we take the path of least resistance yeah. every time, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically. We, we tend to do what is easiest, and that usually does not have a good good outcome. No, no, it doesn't. You know, like as a as a personal trainer, like, and you're obviously into fitness. How do you how do you grow your muscles by taking the path of least resistance? You just do it over and over again. This is the this is the hard part, or not the hard part. There, there are certain things that well, we'll call them first principles, right? Mm. If you get the first principle right everything else tends to follow just by effort, just by reason of following that first principle. One of the first principles is making yourself do something that you don't want to do. Yeah. That is, you know, if you want to like come up with like a a big old meta idea to sum up all self-improvement, that's probably the probably it right there you know doing what you don't want to do yeah. because what you want to do is is nothing you want to you want to be the energy efficient configuration you want to just relax mm. right but that won't work that's not going to cut uh <laughs> no one no one ever accidentally got in shape or ever accidentally <laughs> uh got paid or whatever right so you have to go do what you don't want to do mm. now once you do that and i think this is one of the reasons why if you, you observe a lot of former athletes go into business or so a lot of mil- former military people because if you can if you can force your body to go through that and it is miserable every now and then i like to go work out at the gym just to remind myself why i stopped doing this or what are re- <laughs> and why i'm not going back i still spar and move around but to, to take on a full schedule and train well no, no way life is too life is too easy right now right mm-hmm. oh but it's only that way because i took that mentality of okay i gotta go to the gym every day i gotta train four hours five hours i got i no, can't go out and party can't go out and socialize any right uh doing the things that i don't want to do so i can get a delayed result in the future that is going to be greater than the sum of anything i could have experienced had i not done it mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. The, the, the the far exceeds whatever i would enjoyment i would have gotten if i had shuck my responsibilities by not embrace difficulty mm-hmm. so that's how you do it you know you you pick something that's gonna that's why this is why training is is just so valuable mm-hmm. why it's such a powerful transformation tool because i've actually yet to find anything that forces the the mental change there's a there's a saying and i i never know who to attribute it to 
So I just kind of take credit for it, but I say, I don't know. He goes, it's easier to act yourself into a new way of thinking than it is to think yourself into a new way of acting. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier for me to take you. Whenever God asks me, what should I do to improve my life? What should I do to get better? I feel lost, this or the other. I go, train for a fight. Don't just, not just go to the gym, not just throw up some weights against him. No, no, no. Get your ass in there and get and train and get ready to take on an amateur fight. And after you've done that, do it again. Do it for about a year and see what the rest of you will. You'll, you'll watch yourself slowly but surely change physically. Your your reflexes will improve. Your cardio, all aspects of your physical being, easily measurable, quantifiable changes will take place. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when when you change your mindset. Nah, anyone can bullshit with that, right? It's not real. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, but if you go from being completely uncoordinated and you can't even crack an egg to to winning a fight against another trained person, even if it takes a year or two, then you'll see. Oh, okay, I can change these things about myself. I can I can make something good happen. I I am not just going to be a blob that is molded by the forces of the world i'm going to uh insert my will on the world instead mm-hmm. of having it you know enact its will on me mm-hmm. i love i love how translatable fitness is in particular fighting <laughs> to like everyday life i did um kickboxing for a little while and i wanted to become competitive And, you know, probably for three months after every session, I cried, like I just cried (laughs) (laughs) because, because so much, like it just breaks you down emotionally. It's miserable. It's miserable. And, and, you know, and, you know, it's the worst kind of miserable, um, fighting training is uniquely difficult for, because one it's not just your body. Going and lifting some weights is just your body. No, yeah. no, this is a mental thing. Mm-hmm. When you get hit, when you get embarrassed, this is an emotional thing. When you're in there and your your senses are firing off 110 miles per hour, but you need to stay focused, calm, and you can't jump when somebody throws a punch at you because that's going to do more damage otherwise. You can't slip too much out the way because that's going to take more energy and such would be hurt so you gotta just miss this punch that could knock you out by just a hair and to do that you gotta be calm and focused all of that it, it is a physical mental emotional and and psychological uh training mm-hmm. and you finish that day and you're like okay i survived i i made it i'm not dead and you come back and come back the next day and just keep that up, keep that up, keep that up. And if you do that for a while, some interesting things happen. All of a sudden, one, you realize the world's not that difficult of a place to live in. Mm. I'm 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 the biggest um proponent of exercise therapy you'll ever meet because I think a big reason why there, there, there's there's this huge spike uh relative to we'll say now I think I think the numbers I looked at were 1970. Uh, either way, somewhere between the 1970 and 1990, there was this huge spike in depression and anxiety. Yeah, uh, kids were arriving on campuses, uh, the like like in four, five, six times more 
uh, of them depressed and prior, prior to, because mm-hmm. we live in a generation where no one works out. Mm-hmm. The military, when I, when I enlisted, they sat us through the first week of basic training is, is I mean, it's all miserable, but like uh, the first week, you got to watch a bunch of PowerPoints and videos. And one of the, and one of, of, of all the PowerPoints, two stuck with me. One was about drunk driving. Well, it was probably right around the time when I decided to get sober. And the other one, uh, they talked about how since 1985, the number of injuries in basic training has more or less linearly increased and hasn't decreased in rate if, if anything has only increased and taken more of an exponential curve than a linear one mm-hmm. and they said one of the, the big thing that happened was that's when super mario came out that was the nintendo generation all right so kids stopped working out kids stopped training. now you mean the video games today goodness they're they're full-blown alternative realities at least yeah. when we were playing video games you needed a memory card or some shit you, you, you <laughs> didn't finish it uh, or you or you could finish it in like a certain amount of time. Now these things man, there's patches and updates and yeah. game itself already is 200 hours minimum. That's just main content because yeah. they're sucking you in. And so no one's training. So no one's no one's equipped to deal with the the, the most basic level of stress, which is their environment. Mm-hmm. And then that translates into their mind because mm-hmm. if they haven't had to push themselves through, push themselves through any physical difficulty. They don't know how to concentrate. They don't know how to focus. They don't know how to emotionally deal with things being difficult. Mm. Now you got this anxiety. You got this depression. You got this low-level feeling of power. Not even low-level. It was pretty, pretty high-level feeling of inadequacy and powerlessness mm. uh, that permeates everything you do. And instead of facing it, since the human wants to be the most energy efficient in the most energy efficient configuration it can be, even when it works against it, we retreat further into these vices. Mm. We we it's more video games, it's more mm. booze, it's more pot. I I think there's nothing. It is no coincidence whatsoever that the marijuana is becoming legal so so rapidly and widespread now. I'm I'm I don't know where I stand on the issue, uh, in terms of the legality of it. I'm a big fan of what Portugal has done. And Portugal has had incredible results. Uh, but I'm also 100% aware, you know, people go, that's a stereotype. I'm like, not a stereotype. The drug is quite literally designed to work on your nervous system in a way to where you're, you're not on edge. You you lose yeah. that part of you that keeps you going after it. It's not. And, and how that translates into your activity is a different thing entirely, a different mm-hmm. story entirely, you know, but, but if we would be, we would be, dishonest at best like naively dishonest at best and i'm not going to go to conspiracy route and say at worst we're actively trying to uh weaken a large part of the population so we'll say at best we're act we're being uh naively dishonest about the effect that these things have but but every advancement and i think this just might be the demon of technology working uh, every advancement makes us makes our lives easier to the point we become ineffective. And the cool thing about training is that you know you don't have to go hunt your own food anymore. You ain't got to work on your car. Uh, you don't have to chop firewood. I mean, life is life is easy. Mm. Physical training is hard, and you have to find something difficult to do to give your yourself and your life meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And it taps into our biology, right? Like 
the world might be changing and advancing. I, I don't even know if you can call it advancing, but we'll say <laughs> let's call it advancing. But when you train and you put your body through something like that, it taps into that innate biology that we have to, to be able to push through something and to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the cool thing about it. Something happens when you're, when you're training, we call it turning down the noise. Mm. I'll never forget the first time I realized it was happening. I was watching the movie and it was in the theater. It was dark and something jumped and the whole audience jumped and I just was calm. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be calm. It just is what it is. Right. Uh, because you get so used to someone trying to, swing and pop mm -hmm. and hit and be exhausted having to focus did did that stuff is, <laughs> uh, how how terrifying is it like like my nervous system is now you know it's been trained to to assess a threat and not just react to it and that's a very different way of living most mm -hmm. people are very much on their back foot constantly reacting mm -hmm. to to their surroundings and so what i try to do what i aim to do uh what what fighting does i think for all people do it is that it puts them back in control against and in control of their their bodies and from there you you can can do everything that's the reason why i was able to do do physics man boxing people think people think there's some kind of um contradiction or interesting juxtaposition there that i was able to go and do physics and i was a, a fighter and i'm like you gotta understand uh i failed most of my math classes in high school it was terrible I have an article about this on my website. And and I went back to school at 28, and all of a sudden I can do this stuff well. Well, it's not quite. What happened is in between 18 and 28, I had been training and fighting and watching myself go from being uncoordinated to winning the national titles and getting signed and, and having a pretty good career, both amateur and professional. And so I said, I said, if I can do this, if I can train myself to do this, I'm doing this for, for math, it should be no issue. Just take a similar path. You know, I went and bought like, like three books of just problems in calculus and physics, and I just did them. And I just kept sharpening up my mathematical intuition. I learned everything I could uh, that I had missed, that I had forgotten, that I had didn't know. But and and all it was was taking the same workmanlike approach to my mind that I learned to yes. take to uh, my body for for boxing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Uh, how was it for you going back to school as a mature student? I actually started school again when I was twenty eight. Oh, okay. How so? So okay. So so for me, um. All right. So so I think my experience probably is is you know unique but everyone thinks their experience is unique so first things first i had a reason to be there and that makes a big difference because yeah. most 18 year olds are just kind of going because society said go or their parents said go mm. i had a reason to be there that meant i wasn't doing anything that didn't work for what i was trying to do unless it was like i i couldn't get around it but i took it all very seriously yeah. Uh, all the, the homework and goodness, there was a lot of it and it was difficult, but I took it seriously and I took I took advantage of all the opportunities that I could to to just 
get ahead because it was hard. I knew I was going to have trouble, but it, I, I went in. Uh, I had no problem with this with, with my classmates because uh, a funny thing happens, at least with the sciences, because most of my classes were with people doing math and science. So here, here's a here's a group of people who self-selected themselves out of the mainstream to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I got along fine with, with, with everybody. I didn't have an issue. Um, no, no such thing as, as immaturity. Um, I learned that when you wear nice shoes, it doesn't matter what age you are. That's, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, <laughs> at, that, at that point, you know, my, my, my level of dressing was, what is, was, you know, refined to what it is now. And, and that is just not usual. One thing that like that I learned, and I'll never forget it, just stood out to me, is is the the average twenty year old girl in terms of in terms of appearance and look is just light years ahead of the average twenty year old guy. Like we still look like <laughs> we just came out of high school, and it's That's kinda, so true. It's kind of crazy. Um, and, and, you know, and along with that, the guys still don't have the confidence to like dress well, and because that's what it is. I mean, it takes confidence because, because most people don't dress well. So when you do it, you're going to stand out just even a little, mm-hmm. but to me, that, that's just, you know, part of the course. So I always get, you know, compliments on my, my, my stuff and clothes. And I also learned that the people tend to project their, <laughs> their, their, uh, their age onto the people because like i mean i, I know i i know well uh, i was in shape so yeah maybe at 28 28 30 i graduated when i was 33 i finished oh so my most time spent was like between 31 and 32 uh it was like oh i didn't think you were nearly in 25 and i'm like oh i guess i could see that maybe but i was like you're probably just projecting because like you're like okay he's here with me so he's got to be yeah you know, I'm, I'm like a full year 10 years older than you like it is but it was a it was a great experience, man. I am I'm very happy because and 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 because of what I was doing, my classmates were already people who were I think a little, a high on the maturity scale to begin with. Yeah. You you don't you don't do physics and bullshit like this is not possible, man. Like like no. I know because I wasn't BSing and it was hard for me. And I'm I'm not an idiot per se. I'm just you know. The mo all my classmates were better mathematicians than me. I was a better physicist than probably half of them. But, hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's different. It's different for sure. I got that a lot too. People are, are like, "Oh no, you're like 20, 21. I'm like, "What?" I know. I got invited. I think twice I got invited to parties. I'm like, I, I was like "I'm I'm not coming to your party. Like, don't take it personally." Yeah. But like, I don't. One, I don't drink. Uh, to like, what am I going to do? There? Now that if I was single, you know, maybe you'd be like, uh, like I don't drink and I'm not chasing girls. I'm not coming to your party, but I appreciate the invite. I remember one girl's like, so what are you doing this weekend? Or <laughs> something. I'm like, I'm like, I clearly have a wedding ring on. She, I'm like, I'm spending it with my husband and I, I own a house, like paying for my house and taking care of my dog. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask you about addiction. You know, what was the hardest part of overcoming addiction for you? Uh, you know, 
Well, I'll talk about what kept me from doing it for a while. Yeah. So, so I was finally able to, you know, I, I hit my personal rock bottom and then, you know, I think everyone has to hit theirs and, and I don't think all rock bottoms are the same, but it's the point where you go, this is not going to work if I want to get something out of life. Mm. Okay. So, so I'd hit this same point several times before. Here was the difference now. I had stuff to lose. Mm. I think a lot of people when they're trying to to give up um their addictions, I think they don't have a proper thing to care about. They they don't have an odd well they, they don't have something to lose if they don't succeed, you know? And and if they have something to lose, I I think they it, that's the one thing the other thing is the social environment they don't have another environment to go to yeah and the first i mean i, I i'm telling you man it's a life yeah i mean it's mostly a lifelong struggle i mean i i, I was sober for, for three years from like 19 to 22 then mm-hmm. went on a rip again and then sober now and now it's been seven years uh, I don't think I'll ever drink again, no matter what happens. But, but two things that made a difference. Um, one, I had so much to lose. Like I got stuff to lose now. Like I'm like I'm like a respected member of the community, both like you know locally and on the internet. So now people kind of care. You know, I've got a decent decent income. I don't want to put that in jeopardy. Well. Uh, Get, I've got this wonderful life I've built. Don't want to put that in jeopardy. So I got all of these things I don't want to put in jeopardy. Okay. Mm-hmm, so I'm like, all right, there's that motivation there. And then there's also uh I've I've got a I've got a real confidence in myself for not drinking. And and I can I can exist around people and go, oh, I'm just not drinking and talking, have a conversation. I know how to socialize without alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's taken a while, seven years, and I keep getting better and better. But I know how to live without it. Yeah. When you're trying to overcome addiction normally and the times that I failed and I failed several times because I recognized I had a problem, but it probably took two years before I, I got under control. I didn't have these items and elements in place. I didn't have anything to lose. I didn't have a social circle. I didn't have the confidence to build a social circle independent of booze. And then mm-hmm. plus everyone around me, that's what they were doing. They were drinking. I didn't want to be alone. I was afraid of being alone. So I those were those were my challenges. I didn't I didn't feel like I had something to lose. And I remember when I when the, the night that I said I'm done, or rather the morning after I said I'm done. I said, Okay, I got four things in my life happening. I just became a professional in boxing. I had just enlisted in the Army, so now I was under the UCMJ Uniform Code of Military Justice along with civilian law. I had just re-enrolled in school, and I was going to make this work hella hot water, and I had just met Anna, who's now my fiance, right? So I so said, I got four things. I got something to lose now, yeah. all right? Now, as far as the social thing, this is really interesting because I had something a little better, not preferable, but I think a little better for me. And that was, I was unbelievably busy. I mean, try to imagine this. I was, 
I had to work because you don't make money fighting, not that much. Yeah. At least I hadn't got signed yet, so I, I didn't I wasn't making money. I had a job at the bank. Then I was training. I was still I was fighting, so I was still training, putting in about 30 hours a week training. I was in school and I was trying to get wow. school finished as quickly as possible. So for so for the first two and a half years or seven semesters in a row, uh sp- sp- spring, f- summer, fall. And then once one spring, so that's seven in a row. I took no less than 17 credits. Mm-hmm. I was really trying to finish this thing. Yeah. The website is coming up now and I'm learning to write. So I'm between writing, work, school, and fighting. I'm dying. I haven't even gotten to like hanging out with Anna. You know, yeah. we live together, but but you know, she was she was mainly a help. With a bunch of stuff, uh, and so I was I was so busy the first year or two actually that I didn't I didn't even have a chance to even to even have to figure out how to socialize, and so mm. that really helped. Mm. So you can't get a social life. I know this is not like the theme of the, the podcast, but like no, yeah. uh, if, if you want some advice for getting sober, if you can't get a if you can't build a new social life. Make yourself really busy. Like, like I could, like I didn't have time to go even try and relapse. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. In fact, by the time I had a chance to relapse, I thought the first time I think there was even a remote chance. Uh, and I just, you know, sporting events help you remember days. I looked this up for somebody the other day. Uh, the first time I went and was out past midnight after I stopped drinking, I went out with my buddy. We went to watch the UFC fight between uh, John Jones and Daniel Cormier. I looked this up. This was January 7, 2015. So almost two years, <laughs> well, 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 a year and then like a month after I finished, uh, after I stopped drinking was the first time I was out late. And it was at that point, I had, I had really built up a habit. I had put some time in. So now, mm-hmm. so now I got a year. So, so it was, it was easy, but I was busy as heck. I still had even found a social tribe that I have now because because now my social circle it's two parts that, <laughs> it makes it easy. Uh well yeah. <laughs> Part of it is like now people know don't come to me talking about drinking. So I don't I don't even get invited to, to that much stuff. But also like now I, I you know I travel to, yeah. to hang out with people and, and I, I love the life I've built, but the life, but it's you gotta build something. You gotta have you gotta have something you're striving and pushing for. Uh, otherwise, you're gonna go back to what's familiar, and that was the mm-hmm. issue before. It's, it's so hard to break out of what's familiar because there's that weird period. It's like that purgatory where you're not in hell anymore, mm-hmm. but you are not reaping the benefits at all. You are just here, and and there's no reference point because you're like you're midst of that. You don't even know what this is like yet, and you're just sitting there going, man this is weird if you don't have the right uh frame of reference or systems in place you're going to go back to what you know mm. and it happened to me multiple times and so i finally you know i think the thing one of the best things i did was i did a lot of i got, I got lucky in some ways um but but in terms of things i could control deciding not not waiting to get sober and then figure out what i'm gonna do with my life mm. deciding okay 
I'm I'm joining the army and I'm going back to school. Those are, those are two those are two choices on my end. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Really deciding I was going to try and make things work, whatever. Those that was another thing on my end that I I could control, you know. And and then like what were the, the three things there are four things. So, uh, army, school, right? Fighting, right? Oh, right. And the, then there's the other thing too, fighting. Okay, so I have a buddy of mine too. We we uh, we never like fought together per se, but we were always in the same gym, same social circles. And and he said to me one day, um, he got he got sober two years before me. He said he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, if I was you, man, I would just put all this booze stuff up for like two years and see how far you can go. All right. And and when he said it, I wasn't like really, man, you take it as seriously as you take it, oh whatever, man. You don't know, right? But what but I sort of think like, you know, if I mess this up, because cause not everyone gets this chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I mess it up, I want to I want to know I messed it up because I wasn't good enough, because I didn't work hard enough, because I wasn't there. Not because I was hungover and mm-hmm. couldn't train, not because I got arrested or something i don't i don't want to be that right like when i look back at my career i know i put everything into it mm-hmm. and there was not a single well okay there were some things like, like if i wasn't in school i probably could have fought better but like whatever right because because that's that's a that's an okay trade-off yeah to yeah. me what would not have been an okay trade-off is if i missed like a year and a half he hit you know coach out a fighter he missed he ruined his whole career because he got into an accident drunk mm-hmm. craziness mm-hmm. man so like you gotta have you gotta have something you're running from, uh, and you need to have some system set up to to embrace you while your sobriety habit takes root. Like because now, I mean, I can go. I don't even think about drinking. I mean, like, like I, I smell wine, and I'm like, oh, that smells like it'd be cool to drink. But like, it's not. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to drink it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, got, I got the ankle on my arm now. I can't do anything. I ankle my arm. I got a book out about it. Like, yeah, you're accountable. Uh, yeah, that's that's right. I've, I've really got some great accountability in place. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I really love that you said, and this is actually something that a lot of very successful people do, is they don't wait until they're better to start working towards something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Right? Like, you, you didn't wait till you were sober for a year to work on things with Anne, or you didn't wait till you were sober for a year to, to go to school. You didn't wait. Like you work towards something while you were getting better from something else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and here's my thought process on that. First off, you're going to die one day. That's mm-hmm. right. And, and before you die, you're probably not going to be like the way we're sitting here right now, all young and shit. Like now you're old. <laughs> Somebody's gonna have to help you go to the bathroom or something crazy. Uh, point is, you only got a few years, um, yeah. maybe a few decades. You know, we'll say you got like, I say you have four good decades of autonomy. You know, because until you're 20, you're still kind of a young dummy, and you still are, but at least you're now a legal one. And you know, what is that? 20, 30, 40, 50, 60s, right? And at that point, you know, AARP starts calling and. And who knows what's going to happen? So you get like right, forty good years of autonomy. Once you recognize the the inadequacies or the deficiencies in your life, you don't really like for me. That's the hard part. Once you once you look in the mirror, and you go, okay, this is wrong. It is irresponsible to the highest degree and a great disrespect of Tom to be like, I'm gonna just chill out and keep BSing. Like, nah, man. 
uh, you stop the one thing and you fix the other thing because it's not it's not just enough to patch up the holes in the bucket. You got to fill it with something. Otherwise, you just got an empty bucket. And that's mm-hmm. you know good for nothing. At least it's not broken. But shit, there's tons of people who ain't drinking in prison. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. So once you you take care of the thing, you also gotta you know you also want to motivate yourself to stay on the path. Yeah, having having a purpose is is just another thing that's missing. You know, we were talking about how how there is no reason to push yourself through challenges, especially physical ones, and then the the effect that it has on the mental and emotional and psychological state of today's you know youth. I can't believe I can say that realistically. Today's youth, I feel old, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, the other part of that is is that's a purposeless existence because pushing through struggle gives you a purpose even mm-hmm. if it's a temporary one mm-hmm. well i suppose what a hard one of the hardest things for for an athlete to do is to stop playing a sport because that sport was an identity and a purpose and meaning yeah right but local yeah. people aren't doing as much playing sports mm-hmm. so there's that but my, my point of bringing all that up is that when you have a thing you're striving towards it's like the blinders on a racehorse. You don't pay attention to a lot of other stuff. You stay focused. You keep going, and and you know, uh, you know that that is important, mm-hmm. so important. Mm-hmm. Not, nothing else has importance. And if you get that stuck on something good, your entire life will change. It's just you know, I, I am more. I'm a great example of this, and I'm just one example. You. you mm-hmm put your eyes on something that changes everything else changes and so you you can't really you can't really wait you or rather Mm -hmm. you you you, what what most people think of as waiting i I think people in this situation just to me it doesn't it it would would be senseless to just stop drinking but do nothing else because i've removed a thing like and, and there's research that shows you can't just move remove a habit your brain has got these grooves uh, grooves, put that in air quotes, uh, from repeated use. And now, if you're going to remove that, you got to replace it with something else. Yep, you do. And it it just makes the most sense to replace it with with its polar opposite in terms of the the destination, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just keep drinking and booze, and the destination is all negative, then no place you want to go. If, for example, though, I take that that all that time boozing and I put it into the pursuit of a of a physics degree i don't use my degree at all i just look at it as a motivation and reminder of what i can do how intelligent i am and what happens when i apply myself Mm -hmm. but that opens up so many other doors and windows and opportunities something anna always says to me and i I, whenever i joke about how pointless my degree was she's like you gotta understand there's a lot of people who talk to you who wouldn't talk to you otherwise just because you you fire and roll like no now there's this guy that this study physics okay it's an interesting story Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's say i don't um I, now i've got this time back to focus on, on my fighting and do something else with my life and, and get get even better at fighting but look yeah if if i was just gonna drink and fight i probably could do that but like, let's be real guys do it all the time would, would i be the best i could be eh, probably not but but I couldn't do it if I and now i can't because i got all this other stuff to go on and do right and 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 one of the best things that happened too, man. I I got a I had a great coach, our silver guard coach, a great friend of mine. He really, really uh because he had seen 
how much alcohol I had ruined Fridays beforehand. He really uh, lit into me about my drinking, and it really helped me make make some big difference, positive changes. Yeah. Because I didn't I didn't want to be I didn't want that to ruin uh, my chances. You just you gotta have something you want to do, and and he's gonna he's sacrificing his time to work with me. So I was like, okay, I can I can sacrifice for me, but it wasn't a sacrifice. It only felt that way at the time. Now mm-hmm. it's like like the best thing I've ever done. Like I tell people all the time, sobriety is the best gift you can give yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, for people listening, that you're like, well, I don't struggle with alcohol, or I don't, you know, have an addiction. But like we do this all the time. Like we say, well, I'm not going to be happy or fulfilled till I have kids, or till I'm married, or until I have this career, or till I lose weight, or do you know what I mean? Like we're always. I'm not going to do this because I'm in too much pain. I'm not going to do this because I'm not smart enough. And, and we don't work towards what we want because we're just stuck in who we are right now. Yeah. So well, you, you, you get to, you get to, you, you, you have to not get to, you have to, to stop being the most energy efficient configuration yeah. you can be, man, you, because it'll, it is, it's never going to be um, an ideal time and it's never going to be easy. Like I think about if I had waited, I would have waited. But yeah. at some point I just had to wake up and go, you know, I actually said this to myself when I was about 28. I said, I said, well, you know, five years are going to pass no matter what, God willing. So am um, I going to have more options or fewer options at the end of this five-year period? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's do it. We can have some more options. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy I did that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so happy. It's not even a question. Yeah, because you could be, you know, 36 and think. Shoot, oh, 36. I wish I, I wish I would have gone to school when I was 28, right? Yeah. But you did. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, we, we you know, it's funny. We we talk about the. A lot of times too, like, oh, what if I had woke up and decided, oh, I want to try fighting now? Like, nah, man, that that ship is sailed. I put it. Uh, it, it was it was cool when I was you know twenty two and and not doing a damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, I'd be like, oh, I gotta gotta go to work or something. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So I like to um before we wrap things up, I'm gonna ask you some fun questions. Oh yay. Okay, first question. If you were stranded on a desert island and could only pick one food to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? Is it a compound of other foods? Is it just one yep. item? No, nope. it, could, it could be a compound of other foods. Oh, man, I love tacos, man. I, that's what it would be, tacos. And I'm weird. I like my tacos with green olives. I put green olives in them. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's weird, man. No one else. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You know what? My my mom did it when we were younger, and it always stuck with me. And uh, now, now I'm uh, you know, I, and I'm I'm real simple. I get I get, I get a good seasoning for the meat, uh, cheese, tomatoes, salsa, guac, and green olives. That's all I need for some tacos. Now, now, and I'll go someplace and they'll have their their own version i'll get the onions or whatever but but i still i just like the way it tastes great yeah yeah oh i gotta try that i love olives what is the best meal you've ever eaten in your entire life man the best thing i've ever eaten 
I'm trying to think, man. There's nothing that stands out. I'm like, oh, this was great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, you know, you know, she cooks all the time. I, I say, you know, this is the glue that holds the relationship. <laughs> this is a great cook. Um, nah, man, I, I, I can't remember it all. I, I, I wish I had something. What's one of your favorite things that she makes for you? Oh, um. This thing called chorizo rice, man. It's just great. Mm. It's like it's like uh, chorizo mixed up with, with white rice and, and, and onions and garlic. And it's just a, it's a great meal. It's very cheap, and he keeps saying, oh, "You can learn how to make this." And I'm like, "Well, then you, get <laughs> you can job, do it for so. me." <laughs> yeah, my I went away for the week, and my I had like a a list of meals prepared for my husband. I'm like, it's all in the fridge. He <laughs> could cook himself. Yeah. What is your favorite restaurant? Oh, that is probably easy to answer. Right now, my favorite place to go is this place called The Topo. It's a Mexican spot up the road. But you've seen a theme here, man. I love yeah. Mexican food. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's great, great food. Um, I really just like they 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 the portions are a little big uh i have to get a box and bring it back on me but yeah that's my favorite place to eat at right now it's this place called the tobo this mexican spot nice what is your favorite travel destination that you've been to Ooh, i you know what this is, this is a, a hard toss-up man um either cartagena colombia or quebec city quebec Really? Yeah, those two. And, you know, very different environments. Uh, I guess. I guess. <laughs> yeah, but uh, those are, those are, it's close, man. New Orleans almost makes it in there. Uh, I guess I've been to a few places at this point in my life. It's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be between those two. And, and if I had to, like, choose one because of the type of person I am, I really man, that's hard because because we went we went we went to, we went to Quebec twice mm-hmm. and the second time, and both times it's been in the winter. First of all, which is crazy, yeah, uh, crazy. <laughs> but the second time we went, we, they had just got slaughtered with a snowstorm. It was oh, uh, no, and so it was, but it, but it was the week after Christmas, and it was like it was like uh, second Christmas, man, in the in the uh, in the old city. So it was a really beautiful, fun time. I think that's the Hudson River up there. It was like iced mm-hmm. over. It was beautiful. And, you know, on the deck, there was all this snow. But uh, that was fun. But, but Cartagena, you know, we went on a boat around the, um, the Bay of Cartagena and walked around and saw stuff. Uh, right. Okay. You know what? Right now, right now, here's a bit better than both of them. A the as is is great. And then, and, uh, the Pacific side of Mexico. Yeah. That I really enjoyed that place a lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What's your favorite binge watch television series right now? If you watch any. Okay. Narcos, man. I just finished watching. Uh, I was able to watch. Yeah. I've been, Oh man. I've been a few things, but they're all, but they're all like, they're not series per se, but they're, they're only on for like two or three seasons. Uh, Narcos was definitely my favorite. And then I watch a lot of, um, 
Man, I guess they're telenovelas, but not really. Uh, I don't, I don't like the idea of calling them telenovelas. Uh, I just finished Quien Mato Acera, which I think translates uh, Yeah, Who Killed Sarah? Yeah, uh, Grand Hotel was another one for a Spanish one. Well, I loved and um, Altamar, which is it was just awesome. You guys gotta gotta see this. It it it's a it takes place on who done it on a boat coming going from uh Spain to to Rio de Janeiro and in uh it's like post World War Two. Cool stuff. But yeah, those are like the, the, the Ben's things I'm watching. Oh, but what I am watching right now though is not something Spanish. It is called the uh, I guess it came out in like 2014 and and I just got put on it called the Musketeers. It's like the three Musketeers, but it's like it's like a series, man. It's great, <laughs> and, and and they have to solve like different mysteries and crimes, and uh, it's great. It's was buckling with with like, with like D'Artagnan and everything. Yeah, man, Arthur's yeah. Porthos, Hermes, D'Artagnan. <laughs> yeah, but they're yeah, it's just a great time. I, I highly recommend it. It's on. I think we're watching on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah. What is your biggest fail? Biggest fail? Ooh. Oh man, probably getting knocked out on TV. That was pretty bad. You know, and you know what's funny? Like now I don't I, I don't feel a thing when I talk about it, but I remember how bad I felt. Like yeah. and, and I was worried because you know I can deal with embarrassment. In fact, to say to, to say I get embarrassed is not even eh, correct, right? Um but I was worried about how I was gonna like feed myself, pay my bills, and everything. You know, life was hard, man. That was very, yeah. that was a very hard time mm-hmm. uh, when I lost that fight. But fortunately, at that point, I had put so much time in myself and my degree that I was able to start tutoring kids, and it ended up being the one of the best decisions ever. Because because one, I ended up tutoring in a rich neighborhood, so uh, I was able to. I had I had to start charging fifty dollars an hour because I was so good at so good at it. But uh, prior to that, yeah, I was like legit worried. I remember mm-hmm. like being cold delivering packages to the house because I took a job at delivering packages for Amazon. Mm-hmm. Oh man, ten dollars an hour, and I'm delivering the house. I like to I live to a complex like the one I live in now, and I remember thinking like, man, these people are like paid. I'm just I'm cold, and one day we'll be here. I wasn't sure how we're gonna get there, but yeah. And then, and then seven of your own knockouts later. Yeah, life's good. <laughs> what is the happiest moment of your life? Man, I am I am so depressing. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think like something that, that was like I was like, yeah, I'm happy. I did. You know what, man? It'll probably you know what it'll be. I I, I remember distinctly the the second week of May, 2018. That was the that so May 2018. Uh, was the first first. That's when I graduated. Uh, is is a yeah. So finished that, uh, and that's also when I had had my first ten thousand dollar month and week. So it was the second week. They all happened at the same time. So yeah, that 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 is the thing that stands. Up. I was like, oh okay, I can do this. Like I can mm-hmm. can make a living this way. So that was that was pretty cool. Um. Yeah, that's probably one of the probably one of the happiest times of my life. I mean, and I really like living in Portugal. It was a really good time, yeah. especially the time of year we lived there. We lived there during uh, 
during Christmas. And so they had a, a these Christmas markets all over the country. We don't do it here in America, but I guess it's very common in Europe. Yeah. Uh, the, these Christmas markets, and I just love the Christmas markets and love going. Wonderful. And what advice would you like to leave with our listeners in regard to their health? Um, yeah, so six months seems like a long time, but six months can change your, your entire life and set you up to never have an issue again. So just start it, you know, and don't believe in the body, body positivity movement. That shit is bad for you. They're just trying to profit off of you. Uh, yeah. sick people are are just more money than healthy people mm-hmm. and, and, and on every front not just the medicine but the advertisements mm-hmm. and the mental health mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's wonderful and where yeah. can people find you oh I'm Ed Lattimore everywhere man if somebody comes out with that name you don't have to use another one for his internet uh, my, my website is edlattimore.com. My Twitter is edlattimore. My Instagram is edlattimore. My, my LinkedIn is edlattimore. My Facebook profile is edlattimore. My Facebook page is uh, edlattimore boxer, but just type edlattimore and a bunch of stuff will come up and I'm, I'm on uh, those platforms. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge and insight. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. Looking, looking forward to the, to watching you and your progress and what you do in life. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. Stay tuned for future guests coming on, which I'm super excited about. And remember, You are powerful over your health.